Trapcast Express. Trapcast Express. It's Wednesday, June 29th, 2022. Today, I would like to begin by sharing some of the content of a 1949 Holy Office document that most people have never heard of and never read. It is quite short, and it concerns the ecumenical movement, which at the time was operating at full blast already among Protestants, but was, of course, rejected by the Catholic Church. At the same time, recognizing that a lot of Protestants were evidently of goodwill in their desire to see those who want to follow Christ united, the Vatican under Pope Pius XII wanted to take the opportunity to reach those Protestants, make them recognize their errors, and show them that the unity and truth they are looking for exists already and only in the Roman Catholic Church, the only true church founded by Jesus Christ. And so, in early 1950, the Holy Office, of which Pius XII himself was the head, released a document to all the world's diocesan bishops, instructing them on what is and is not permissible with regard to meeting with Protestants and discussing religion. The document is called Ecclesia Catholica and has been translated into English and can be found on the EWTN website. I'm including a link to it in the notes for this podcast. Anyway, here are some excerpts from it, and as you listen, I'd like you to ask yourself if this sounds like anything the Vatican would put out today, and if not instead, today's Vatican has been promoting the very errors condemned in this document. Here we go. Quote, Some of the initiatives that have hitherto been taken by various individuals or groups with the aim of reconciling dissident Christians to the Catholic Church, although inspired by the best of intentions, are not always based on right principles, or, if they are, yet they are not free from special dangers, as experience, too, has already shown. Hence, this supreme sacred congregation, which has the responsibility of conserving in its entirety and protecting the deposit of the faith, has seen fit to recall to mind and to prescribe the following. And here I'm going to skip ahead a little. As regards the manner and method of proceeding in this work, the bishops themselves will make regulations as to what is to be done and what is to be avoided, and shall see that these are observed by all. They shall also be on guard, lest on the false pretext that more attention should be paid to the points on which we agree than to those on which we differ, a dangerous indifferentism be encouraged, especially among persons whose training in theology is not deep and whose practice of their faith is not very strong. For care must be taken, lest in the so-called ironic spirit of today, through comparative study and the vain desire for a progressively closer mutual approach among the various professions of faith, Catholic doctrine, either in its dogmas or in the truths which are connected with them, be so conformed 
or in a way adapted to the doctrines of dissident sects that the purity of Catholic doctrine be impaired or its genuine and certain meaning be obscured. Also, they must restrain that dangerous manner of speaking which generates false opinions and fallacious hopes incapable of realization, for example, to the effect that the teachings of the encyclicals of the Roman pontiffs on the return of dissidents to the church, on the constitution of the church, on the mystical body of Christ, should not be given too much importance, seeing that they are not all matters of faith, or, what is worse, that in matters of dogma even the Catholic Church has not yet attained the fullness of Christ, but can still be perfected from outside. They shall take particular care and shall firmly insist that in going over the history of the Reformation and the Reformers, the defects of Catholics be not so exaggerated and the faults of the Reformers be so dissimulated or that things which are rather accidental be not so emphasized that what is most essential, namely the defection from the Catholic faith, be scarcely any longer seen or felt. Finally, they shall take precautions, lest through an excessive and false external activity, or through imprudence and an excited manner of proceeding, the end in view be rather harmed than served." Therefore, the whole and entire Catholic doctrine is to be presented and explained. By no means is it permitted to pass over in silence or to veil in ambiguous terms the Catholic truth regarding the nature and way of justification, the constitution of the Church, the primacy of jurisdiction of the Roman pontiff, and the only true union by the return of the dissidents to the one true Church of Christ. It should be made clear to them that in returning to the Church they will lose nothing of that good which by the grace of God has hitherto been implanted in them, but that it will rather be supplemented and completed by their return. However, one should not speak of this in such a way that they will imagine that in returning to the church they are bringing to it something substantial which it has hitherto lacked. It will be necessary to say these things clearly and openly, first, because it is the truth that they themselves are seeking, and moreover, because outside the truth no true union can ever be attained." Unquote. The document is dated December 20th, 1949, but it was not published until January 31st, 1950. There really isn't a whole lot to say here. It's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Vatican II and the post-conciliar magisterium have overthrown the traditional Catholic doctrine. Because, notice, Pius Twelfth is appealing to doctrine here. This is not simply about discipline. The only way true union can be attained is by the conversion of Protestants to Catholicism, and that is a matter of doctrine, he says. And isn't it interesting? 
that with all the disagreements that the different parties in the ecumenical movement today have, the one thing they all agree on, including the Vatican especially, is that the eventual conversion of the non-Catholics to Catholicism is definitely and explicitly not the goal of ecumenism. And that tells you all you need to know. All right, moving on. As we all know, the Jesuit apostate Jorge Bergoglio, better known by his stage name Pope Francis, has a staggering amount of profound wisdom to share with humanity. And that is exactly what he did this past June 13th in an audience with participants in the general chapter of the Missionaries of Africa. He told them, quote, The apostle of Jesus Christ is not one who proselytizes. Evangelical proclamation has nothing to do with proselytism, unquote. Oh, really? Well, let's see. What do we find, for example, in the Acts of the Apostles? Do we find the apostles and disciples preaching Jesus Christ and his gospel, answering objections and arguing with Jews and Gentiles? Or do we find them only practicing encounter and feeding the poor, promoting sustainable agriculture and caressing the unemployed and all that? Until people start asking them, Oh my goodness, why are you even doing this? Can you tell me more about your religion? Because that's kind of how Francis approaches this. So, let's see. If we look at chapter 2, verses 22 through 36, we find St. Peter, the first pope, preaching in clear words the gospel of Jesus Christ, exhorting the people to recognize Jesus of Nazareth as the true Messiah's and the Son of God who was raised from the dead after they crucified him. And you know what happened? The people converted. Verse 37 says, Now when they had heard these things, they had compunction in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, What shall we do, men and brethren? And you know what Peter told them? He gave them very specific, very clear instructions. He said, do penance and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's verse 38. And then, and this is my favorite part, St. Luke, the author of the Acts of the Apostles, tells us, They therefore that received his word were baptized, and they were added in that day about 3,000 souls. And they were persevering in the doctrine of the apostles and in the communication of the breaking of bread and in prayers. That's Acts 2, verses 41 and 42. Why is that significant? Because it mentions two things that Francis either detests or doesn't care much about. First, St. Luke counts the number of souls who were converted. That's a complete no-no for Francis, who considers that triumphalism, you know, treating converts like a trophy. He mentioned that in his chat with Jesuits in Mozambique on September 5th, 2019. And second, St. Luke says that these converts persevered in the doctrine of the apostles. Can you imagine? 
In other words, they rigidly clung to certainties. Can't have that with Bergoglio, because the, the faith is an encounter. And remember when he said that being a Christian is not about adhering to a doctrine? Yeah, he said that. That was March 31st, 2019 in Morocco. You can look it up. Of course, the very first thing that identifies and distinguishes a Christian is his creed, the doctrine he professes. Baptism too, of course, but baptism is only a one-time event, and one can cease to be a Christian, a Catholic, even though baptized, right? So, the faith is crucial. Of course, you also have to live the faith, certainly in order to be saved, but even if you're in mortal sin, as long as you continue to profess the true faith, that is what makes you a Christian, a Catholic. And that is dogma, per the Council of Trent. Quote, if anyone shall say that he who has faith without charity is not a Christian, let him be anathema. Unquote. That's Session 6, Canon 28. You can find it in Denzinger 838. Now, there are, of course, some additional nuances, such as excommunication and so on, but we don't, need to, we don't need to get into all that here now. My point is simply that Francis was speaking nonsense when he said that being a Christian is not about adhering to a doctrine. That is exactly what it's about. Now, to get back to the issue of proselytism, the Acts of the Apostles also tell us that St. Paul reasoned with the people he sought to convert. That's right. He preached, he taught, argued, debated, refuted, all that. It wasn't just soup kitchens and encounter. We find that in Acts chapter 17, where we read things such as, And for three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. That's verse 2. And also Acts 18, for example, in verse 4, where we read, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, bringing in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And likewise in verse 19, But he himself entering into the synagogue disputed with the Jews. And in that chapter we also read of a certain convert from Judaism, named Apollo, who preached the gospel. And in verse 18, we read that with much vigor, he convinced the Jews openly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now, could you imagine the Novus Ordo Vatican doing that, evangelizing the Jews like that, trying to share with them, very charitably, of course, the evidence that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Messiah that their own Old Testament points to. And then refuting their objections. Could you imagine? Instead, they've got this dumb ecumenical office that says there's no mission to the Jews and that the old law is still valid for them. It's an abomination. So, clearly, the Vatican does not approve of the type of proselytism that we find in the Acts of the Apostles. If they did, they would imitate it. Now, Francis, by the way, added the following in his words to the missionaries of Africa. 
quote, if at any point one of you finds himself proselytizing, please stop, convert, and then continue, unquote. See, he does want conversion after all, the conversion of those who proselytize. Tradcast Express is a production of Novos Ordo Watch. Check us out at tradcast.org, and if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novosordowatch.org slash donate.